0: At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Today we're going to be continuing the series that we began uh, a number of weeks ago, about a month ago now, called Perspective. And this series is an important one because it helps us to recalibrate our perspective, our, our view of the events of the world around us around what the Bible says, around a biblical worldview. Just like I need glasses to put on to correct my vision so that I can see you this morning and I can see God's Word, so also we need to put on a biblical perspective so that we can accurately understand what is happening in the world around us. And that has been what we're trying to gather as we have been in this perspective series the last number of weeks. Now, this is something that is really important because left to our own devices and left to the world in which we live, we can interpret things the wrong way with real world consequences. You know, last week we talked about Karl Marx, someone who looked at the world and thought that the entire world could best be explained by two groups of people. You were either an oppressor or you were a victim. And with those two large categories, he tried to offer a godless explanation for why the world was having so many problems. But that perspective created a number of other and creates a number of other challenges. Thankfully, Jesus Christ does not see the world the same way as Karl Marx. And his way of understanding life given to us gives us life as well. Scott, David Allen, and his book says this, he says, "'If your story tells you that your primary identity is victim, your life will be marked by bitterness, resentment, grievance, and entitlement. If your story tells you that your primary identity is privileged oppressor, your life will be marked by guilt and shame. However, however if your story tells you that your identity is sinner, yet loved by God and saved by grace, your life will be marked by gratitude and humility.'" The perspective with which we view the world has real impact on our lives. And understanding life from a Christian perspective is so essential for each and every one of us. So far in this series, we have seen that we can anchor to the God who is. And then we have seen that we were created on purpose and for a purpose. Last week, we saw that sin is our problem, but Jesus is our answer. And this week, we're going to see how shall we now live now all four of these messages are basically one message in four parts so if you missed any of the previous 3 weeks i would encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast or watch the youtube video because today we're going to largely be drawing applications from where we have been over the last month but as we prepare to draw those conclusions and applications together i want to take you to the city of jerusalem Now, in the modern city of Jerusalem, there stands a church at a very famous location. At the location where, traditionally, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus is celebrated, there is a church called the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. And it has stood at that location since sometime in the 300s A.D. That church has been there a very long time. Now, because of the significance of the location... How do you get more significant than a place that commemorates and celebrates the death or resurrection of Jesus? Because of its significance, a number of different denominations or church groups have an interest in this building. It's not just one group that controls the facility, but the Catholics have a section, a number of different Orthodox groups have other halls that they oversee, and they all share this one building together. Now, when I say that, some of you are are sitting there thinking, well, that is really awesome. I mean, after all, the, the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus should unite Christians, and there they are united in one building at this location. But you need to know the rest of the story. The leaders of all of those different groups in that church don't get along. They don't get along to the point that the key to that building is not held by any of those denominations. Instead, they gave the key to a Muslim man to hold it, and he is the one who unlocks the door so that they can come in and out. Now, this building is beautiful. The inside of it is extremely ornate with stained glass and a lot of statues and different things on the inside, but there is one thing that doesn't fit the rest of the decor, and that is this little ladder. I don't know if you can see it, but there's a little ladder that is right outside this window. Now, this is a simple cedar wood ladder that has been sitting and leaning up against that windowsill for at least 300 years. In the artwork of that building that has been done back that far, that ladder appears. That ladder, to the best of everyone's understanding, serves no purpose at all. At some point, somebody probably fixed the window But today, because the churches can't get along, they don't want to disrupt the status quo, and so that ladder remains leaning against the wall some 300 years after it was placed there. Now, when I talk about someone else's church, it's easy for us to chuckle and see the folly, right? But the reality is, as I say this, some of you are going, hey, that sounds like the church I used to go to. And still, for others of you, you might go, that sounds like the church that I attend right now. And so I'm horrified. But here's the thing. When you think about this, it, there are elements of this that influence the way we think about church. We think about church as a beautiful building where ceremonies take place. All too often, that's our understanding of what the church actually is. Or we think of the church as a place where nothing ever changes where ladders that are placed 300 years ago still rest today. But if you think of the church as something that just places irrelevant ladders or you think of the church as some place that merely holds ceremonies, you're not thinking of the church that Jesus Christ planted. See, Jesus came to create a community that was dynamic, one that changed the hearts and the lives of people, one that was sent on a mission to go to the ends of the earth. And so this place that should be a champion of that change and of that mission ends up being a place that is merely a decoration with some irrelevant ladders. May our church and our lives, may it not also resemble this decay. May instead we be a people that live on mission. When we think about having a Christian perspective and approaching the world around us, May we live in light of the church that Jesus is building, and today we're going to talk about how we do that in this world in which we live. This morning, we're going to see three things that talk about uh, our involvement in the world and the change that is available. The first thing we're going to see is this, change is possible, change is possible, Now, this is an important thing to see and remember, and we see it really echoed throughout the Scriptures. Change is possible. Well, what do I mean by that? I don't mean the change of God's truth. God's truth is constant. But what I mean by that is change in the lives of people, of you and of me. Now, in the Scriptures, we learn of people like Peter. Who was Peter? Well, Peter was Jesus' right-hand man. But he wasn't always Jesus' right-hand man, was he? No, originally he was a fisherman. One day Jesus came up to Peter and he said, Peter, you're a fisherman. You throw nets in the water and you take things that were alive and you make them dead. Jesus said, instead, I'm going to make you a fisher of men where you will take my truth into the world and people who are currently dead in their sins will become alive in me. And so Peter's life was transformed. Change was possible for him. But it wasn't just possible for Peter. It was also possible for Paul. Now, who was Paul? Paul was the one that wrote a good portion of our New Testament. He was the one that planted churches in a number of prominent cities in the Roman Empire in the first century. But he wasn't always a Jesus follower. As a matter of fact, he began his life as a Jesus persecutor. He persecuted the church and the followers of Christ. But as he was on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him and saved Paul's life and gave him a new mission and purpose. Jesus said to Paul, he says, I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things to which you have seen. Paul's life changed. He went from a Jesus persecutor to a church planter. Change is possible. That was true for Peter. That was true for Paul. Now, what name are you expecting next? Peter, Paul, and? We have a few children of the 60s. All right, so Peter, Paul, and Mary. It was true of Mary also. was Mary. Mary, in this instance, I'm thinking of the Mary that was the mother of Jesus, but she wasn't always the mother of Jesus. She was once just another teenager in Galilee, but the Lord saw favor upon her and Jesus came to dwell in her womb so that when she visits her cousin Elizabeth, Elizabeth says to her, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Mary. Change was possible for Peter and for Paul and for Mary but not just for them. Change is possible for you and change is possible for me. And as we gather today, we know that, right? We are here today, not on accident. We are here today to worship Jesus Christ because he has transformed our lives. He has changed us. We weren't born following Christ, but we came to know the depth of our sin and found and placed our hope in Him. This is a a story that is echoed by all in the room here who have trusted in Christ. Some of us have testimonies that were like the Apostle Paul, at one point living a life diametrically opposed to the gospel, and Jesus in His grace saved us. Others of us have a testimony like Timothy, who was taught the Scripture from an early age, but still came to find his identity and his hope in Christ. But all in this room who are Christians... Have trusted in Jesus, have had our lives transformed by Him. And since we are so familiar with that change, both in the scriptures and in our lives, my question is this Why is it that we are so pessimistic? Why is it that we lack such hope? Why is it that we look at the world around us, and the best that we can do is act like those two Muppets who sat in the balcony and just criticized everything that happened on the stage? All too often, Christians just sit around and gripe about what is happening in the world around us, and we wring our hands when all the while we know of the transforming power of Jesus and His grace. He changed us, and if He changed us, He can change those around us as well. And so when we think of looking at this world through a biblical lens, let us not think that it is a steady state impervious to change. But let's remember that this is a place that can be transformed by the grace of God. And you and I are pieces of evidence, one, two, three, four, etc. So the first thing we see is that change is possible. But the second thing that we need to see and remember today is this, the right change requires a motor. The right change requires a motor. Change is possible. I would even say that some change is inevitable, at least incremental change. Well, we're not the same people we were a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago. People who know Jesus, people who don't know Jesus, their lives progress in different directions. But here's something that I know. The direction that this world wants to push you is not towards the rock of Christ. The direction this world wants to push you is further away from Him. Left to ourselves, we will not get more godly that's just true. This idea is talked about in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6 when in his prophecy Isaiah says all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. This is the message of what we talked about last Sunday and that sin is the problem and it's not out there it's in here. There is a drift in our world. There is a drift in our soul that wants to float us further away from God if that is the direction that we are headed, then we need something to intervene. We need someone or something to empower us and move us back towards the rock of Christ. We need a motor. But where is that motor found? Again, our world would say that the motor is found in our determination, our good works, or our education. But the reality is that the motor comes from a much more influential source than you or me. The motor comes from God himself. And Jesus talked about this in a conversation he had with a man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Now, if you didn't get the Peter, Paul, and Mary reference earlier because you weren't from the 60s, then maybe those of us from the 80s and 90s will appreciate that this conversation with Nicodemus happened at night. So this is Nick at night. Okay. It's terrible. All right. <laughs> Jesus talks to Nicodemus. Mike Tychrobe is wiping his face back there going, Oh my word. All right. So here we go. When we think about Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, what did he say? Well, Nicodemus comes with some flattery and he says, Jesus, you're, you're awesome. I mean, I'm just watching what you're doing here. Well done, Jesus. And Jesus responds and basically says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, your flattery will get you no place. He says to him, truly, truly, Nicodemus, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, when he says this to Nicodemus, how did Nicodemus respond? Nicodemus responded and said, yuck, I don't want to go back in my mother's womb. I don't understand what you're talking about, Jesus. How's that even a thing? How is that even possible? And so Jesus clarifies, And in verse 5, Jesus says, Truly, truly, Nicodemus, I say to you, unless one is born of water in the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In other words, the rebirth that Jesus is talking about is not a transformation just of our physical bodies. It's not going back and becoming an infant again. It's about the transformation of our souls, washed in the water of baptism, forgiven in Christ, finding our identity in Him, baptized in His Spirit that enters into our lives to transform us. Jesus said, if you want to be a part of what I'm doing, Nicodemus, you need a motor, you need an engine, you need a rebirth, you need the Spirit of God inside of you, you need a relationship with me. Now, when he says that to Nicodemus, Nicodemus is listening along in this story, and as we listen along, we might wonder, well, is that something that was only true for Nicodemus, or is that something that is available for me as well? Well, thankfully, Jesus kept talking he let not only Nicodemus know, but because it's included in John chapter 3, he lets us know as well that this motor that drives us towards God and is given to us through this rebirth in Christ is something that's available to all of us. In verses 15 and 16, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, Jesus says that whoever believes in him, talking about himself, may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The motor of the Spirit of God that would propel us back to the rock of Christ is something that is available to all who would believe in him. Now, before we go any further, I, I want to just pause for a moment and, and talk about this reality. I don't want to take for granted that in a room this size with this many people as well as so many more watching at home on on video, I don't want to take for granted that everyone here has already trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. But if you have not trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, know that this transformation is available to you. This eternal life that Jesus talks about is available to you, not by turning on your own engine and driving to God, but through the Spirit of God and His work, that we can be transformed in Christ and that we can have an agent of change to transform us, not just in one moment, but in every moment of our lives and not just in this life, but on into eternity. If you are looking for lasting, effective change that would drive you towards the God who created you, know that that happens in Christ as we trust in him. And it's available to all who believe. But when I share that truth and that reality, I want to also acknowledge that that is a message that is not just for us, but it's also for all around us and all that we interact with. You know, the last time you flew on an airplane, they probably gave a speech that went something like this. In case of the loss of cabin pressure, a mask will fall out of the ceiling. And when that mask falls out, here's what you are to do. You were to take that mask and secure it to your own face first, something that all of us over the last 14 months have been able to practice often, right? Securing a mask over our own face. But after we do that, what do they say? After you have secured it to your own face, then turn and help those who are with you. In other words, you need to secure yourself now, and then you're in a place to help those around you. And for those of us who are in Christ, we have secured the the, the self the, the, the sustaining of self that is found in Christ, what he has done for us, that he has saved our lives and he's provided provision for us, that we are connected to his motor. But once that is connected to us, know that we have something to offer to others. We can reach out and we can help them. We live in a world that has no engine and so it is drifting further away. We have an opportunity to reach out in Christ and to help those in that world. Now, when I say that, I want to provide another picture that maybe will help us to understand and to apply this a little bit. You know, when we think of the world in which we live, often the picture of help that our world has is if somebody is dealing with crisis, if somebody is dealing with sin, that our primary job is just to identify with them just to weep with them or to celebrate with them or whatever. But what do we do when people around us are making decisions that are destroying their own lives? What do we do when, when those around us come to us and, and tell us that they are, are struggling with homosexuality as a temptation or transgenderism? When they say that they're pursuing a relationship physically with someone who is not their spouse When they come to us and they they tell us some great struggle that is going on in their life, how are we to respond? Our, Our world would tell us that how we are to respond is we are to respond to them by just putting our arm around them and just, you know, either celebrating that decision with them or just telling them it's going to be okay. But the reality is if we are in Christ, we have something better to offer. We have hope and a path to real life to offer, and it would be unloving for us to not offer it in that situation and in that setting. Change requires a motor, and if we know where that motor is found, why would we ever keep it to ourselves? This is the idea behind, I believe, Paul's statement in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. He says, "'Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted.'" When someone comes to us and they are struggling, rather than just jumping in with them and weeping with them, we can we can certainly weep with them, we can express concern, but let's keep our feet firmly planted on the rock of God's truth and offer them a hand of help to pull them with us to the place of security, hope, and true life. This is the hope that we have in Christ to minister to the world around us and offer them the life and the security That we have found in him. See, that right change requires a motor, and that motor is found in Christ. Now, third thing that we need to see from these verses is this we are his ambassadors. We are his ambassadors. Now, when I say that, what do I mean? Well, what I mean is that you and I are representatives of our God and we are living a long way from home. Now, when I say that we're living a long way from home, some of you resonate with that because you're a university student who have come here from the Northwest or the Northeast or some other state, and you feel a long way from home. For others of us, we feel more at home because our family is around us. We grew up in this city or this town or this state. But the reality is for a follower of Christ, there is no place in this world that is truly home our identity is found in heaven. Our citizenship is found in heaven. Our ultimate hope is found in heaven. Therefore, as we live out our lives on this earth, we will all share this sensation of feeling like we are a long ways from home. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16 talks about this. In this chapter on these heroes of the faith, says that all these heroes of our faith died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Our home, our identity is in heaven. And while we live out our lives on this earth, we are His ambassadors. We are His Representatives. This is a part of who we are in Christ. Now, this language of us being an ambassador of Him certainly is echoed in Hebrews 11, but it's said explicitly in another passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul writes to the Corinthians and he lets them know that they are His ambassadors. And if we are in Christ today, friends, you and I are His ambassadors as well. Well, in what sense is that true? Well, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God we are representations, representatives of God in this world. And as we interact with those around us, we have the privilege of inviting them to be reconciled to God through Christ, just as you and I have been. And when we invite someone who doesn't know Christ to know Christ and they embrace him by faith, we are giving them a motor and an engine that will lead to incredible change in their lives. John Stott talked about this a little bit in this statement. He says, evangelism is the major instrument of social change. For the gospel changes people, and changed people change the world. If you want your life to have an eternal significance, if you want your world to be transformed into change, what do we need to do? Well, what we need to do is we need to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the agent of change that has changed our lives and can change the lives of those around us. And when individuals' lives are changed, what happens to their society? Their society changes as well. You know, when the Apostle Paul went to the city of Ephesus on one of his missionary journeys, he shows up there and there are not many Jesus followers, and he preaches the gospel. And suddenly people begin to believe, not just one or two, but a whole bunch How many came to faith? We don't know exactly. But so many lives were changed by the gospel that the biggest industry in that city, which was the making and selling of idols, began to be impacted. (laughs) The idol business began to to shrink because there wasn't a market to buy idols. Why? Because so many people were becoming Christians. If you want to change the society, change the hearts of people, if you want to change the hearts of people, you do that through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, this is the hope that we have. It's how we respond. We're an ambassador for him. Now, if we're going to be an ambassador for him, not only should we engage in evangelism, but we also need to remember our identity as citizens of heaven. How do we remember our identity as citizens of heaven? Well, we certainly read the Bible. This reminds us of who we are. But also, we can remember the truth of Scripture through songs. You know, just this last week, I I asked a number of people on my Facebook page, I said, hey, what are some songs that you listen to that remind you of God's truth when you're experiencing a hard time? And what I got back was a a list of 74 different songs. And in that list of 74 songs, we've turned that into a playlist and posted, you can find the link on my blog. Um, But that is an opportunity for us to listen to truth sung over us. You know, I've, I've said this before in other contexts, but I, I forget a lot of things, but I know all the words to Bon Jovi's living on a prayer. H- how do I know that? Well, I know that because it's, it's, there's a tune and there's a melody, and it just is embedded inside of my life. So when I'm mowing the yard and things go blank, that comes up. We need to fill our mind with the songs of the Lord so that we can be reminded through those memorable melodies and words of the truth of whose we are. Not only that, but at times we need to take a citizenship class if we're going to be an ambassador so that we really understand the truth that lies behind what we believe. At Wildwood, on the back of our bulletin every Sunday, there is a list of our core beliefs. But if you're wondering what all those mean, you can join us next Sunday in room 5 for the next several weeks between 9 and 10 o'clock as we're going to be studying what we believe as a church in terms of our doctrine, our core doctrine. These are all ways for us to remember our identity as citizens of heaven. We are His ambassadors. But not only are we His ambassadors, but if we are His ambassadors, that means that our churches are embassies. They are a place of of heaven here on earth a long way from the homeland. They're a place where you can go and hopefully experience the kinds of interactions that echo the values of the kingdom of God that echo the values of our King. This is the idea that Jesus shared in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. He he says to His disciples, and by effect to all of us, He says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand... And he gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When people interact with us individually and when people interact with us as a community of followers of Jesus, they ought to get a sense of the values of heaven. This statement by Jesus was really an introduction to his famous Sermon on the Mount, a sermon that is going to talk about what the good works are, what what the change, where should the change and the good works and the light be seen and felt in our world as others look at us. Jesus talked about that in his message. He said, if people look at us, they ought to see something different in the way that we handle our anger. He says that in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, if people look at us, they ought to see a different way in which men relate to women and women relate to men. He says, when people look at you, they ought to see that you value and live out your marriage differently. So When people look at you, you, they ought to see people who mean what they say and say what they mean. He says when people look at you, they ought to see people who respond differently when they have been mistreated. He says when people look at you, they, they ought to see people who care for the poor because all people matter to God. He says when people look at you, they ought to see people who take seriously their relationship with God. They relate to Him as a real person. They, they, they pray to Him. They, they fast. They give in His direction. He says, when people look at you, the, our emotional life should be impacted so that others see it. Friends, on and on Jesus goes and talks about how our lives should have a real-world impact as others experience us. Friends, our community is an embassy. We ought to live out the values of heaven, and it ought to live out in a way that can be seen and felt through our bodies. Amy Carmichael, in ministry that she did in India years ago, was criticized because she was helping temple prostitutes leave that lifestyle as they came to Christ, and people thought that it was a waste of time for her to spend Effort and time helping people change not just their spiritual state, what they believe, but also their physical lives. Amy Carmichael's response was this says, Souls are more or less firmly attached to bodies. In other words, if we are to live out these values, it will have an effect not just in what we know and what we think, but it will have an effect in how we live. Our churches are embassies. We are ambassadors. But lastly, it's important for us to remember that our homes are consulates. Now, some of you aren't used to the language of embassies and ambassadors and consulates, so I just want you to know that a consulate is smaller than an embassy. Not everything that happens at the embassy happens at the consulate. But in a country, there might be one embassy or a couple, but there are many consulates. In, in this town, as Wildwood Community Church, we have one building, but we have many consulates in the families that exist in our community. What an opportunity that we have to shine the light of Christ and to develop people, not just out here, not just in here, but in our homes. Moses would say in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, he says, You shall teach your children diligently and shall talk to them of the things of God when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. We don't just outsource our spirituality to the church. We don't just check our kids into student ministry or children's ministry for an hour and hope they get it. But families, we have an opportunity to pour into our kids so that they might have the glasses of God's perspective to understand the world around them. Don't leave it to chance. Let's develop them in Christ. And so we think of this reality that we are his ambassadors. Change is to be expected because the gospel is a change agent. We have been changed. And through the grace of God, we have the opportunity to offer that change to others. That's what it means to be the church. Not to be a ladder leaning against a wall, preserving some ceremonies for people to occasionally attend. Not to fight each other so that somebody else has to hold the key living on mission in light of the revolution that Christ has brought about in our souls. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to gather and to worship today. Thank you for this truth. I pray that we would be a people who would indeed live out the, the revolution that has happened and made, been made possible in the gospel. We thank you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.